This is Rod Genders, and you're listening to the Estate Planner Podcast, a weekly broadcast of discussions regarding wills and estate planning, probate and estate administration, trusts and guardianship, inheritance claims and contested estates. Hi folks, Rod Genders from Genders and Partners Solicitors here, the oldest law firm in South Australia, founded in 1848. Today I'm going to be uh, covering the basics of wills and estate planning. Now I know that uh, creating an estate plan can be a bit intimidating, but if you just break things down into small chunks, it'll seem more manageable, less intimidating, and you'll get more comfortable about the process. And this is a process that every person in Australia over the age of 18 should be thinking about because it's very important to protect yourself, your assets and your family. Now deciding what goes into an estate plan is best done with the help of a lawyer who specialises in estate planning. But there are some things that you ought to think about before you contact the lawyer. So first of all you need to identify the important people in your life and there'll be several different categories of of people to consider. The easiest group to start with is the beneficiaries of your will. These are the people that you want to receive your assets after you've gone. So this is the easy place to start. For most people it's going to be your spouse and your children and then possibly some other family members, friends, charities might also come into the picture. So once you've got this list you then decide if any of those people are also going to have specific jobs to do to help carry out your wishes. So that's phase two, working out who does what. And that gives rise to these other categories of people including executor, trustee, guardian, agent and substitute decision maker and we're just going to touch on each of these categories individually. So the executor is the person or persons you appoint in your will to have the lawful authority to administer your deceased estate after you're gone and it's their responsibility to apply for probate, get in your assets, pay your bills and funeral expenses and distribute whatever's left over to the beneficiaries that you've nominated in your will. Typically, the executor will instruct a lawyer who specialises in probate and estate administration to assist them, and the lawyer will do most of the heavy lifting. So it doesn't have to be a particularly onerous job, but uh, the person that you appoint as your executor is someone that you ought to trust uh, to not go to pieces after you're gone. Now you can name more than one executor if you want and it's a good idea to do so and if you do that then you have to decide how they're going to work with each other. So you can either have a primary executor with a substitute and in that case the substitute will step in only in the event that the primary executor can't do the job for whatever reason or you can appoint them jointly so that all the named executors have to work together. 
Now the next role is that of trustee. If you create any trusts inside your will, they're called testamentary trusts. You can also, of course, create trusts outside of your will. In either event, the person who controls the trust is called the trustee. In a will situation, the trustee is very often the same person as the executor. So one person, but two different roles. And the role of testamentary trustee really only begins after the role of executor has finished. So once probate's been obtained, the bills have been paid, the distributions have been made, there are often funds held in trust for beneficiaries, often minor children, who need some ongoing protection. And the role of the trustee is to invest those funds and look after those trust funds for the benefit of that nominated beneficiary uh, for the term of the trust. The next category is guardian. If you have minor children, that is anyone under the age of 18, then you can and should make a nomination in your will as to whom you would trust to act as their guardian in the event that both parents have died before the child has turned 18. So with parents they are automatically guardians of their infant children but if both the parents are dead you can nominate someone in your will to take over as their guardian. That is not uh, a default setting, it's not a nomination that uh, is automatically binding. Uh, ultimately it will be up to the court to decide what's in the best interest of your child if you're no longer around and both parents are no longer around. But it is an expression of confidence in a specific person at a specific point in time and the court would take that very strongly into account. So you should at least consider this role, this category of guardian. Then we turn to documents outside of the will. So these are for things like uh, an enduring power of attorney. And with this sort of document, you're going to be appointing one or more trusted agents to make decisions for you and sign documents for you if you're not able to do so for yourself. So if you were to have a stroke or a brain injury, develop senility or Alzheimer's, or it doesn't have to be mental incapacity necessarily, it could be geographic incapacity. You could be overseas or, or trapped somewhere or you could have a broken hand and not sign documents. In any of those situations, it can be very powerful insurance to have somebody that you've nominated to have the lawful authority to sign documents and make decisions for you uh, when you can't do so for yourself. And that type of document is for legal and financial affairs. So contracts, bank accounts, government departments, shares, real estate insurances, that sort of thing. So that category of person is an agent. You need to trust them implicitly because when you give them this lawful authority to handle your affairs, it means that they can open and close your bank accounts and sell your real estate. So you do not appoint somebody as your agent under power of attorney simply because you love them. You only appoint them if you can trust them implicitly to look after your affairs when you can't do so for yourself. 
Similarly, uh, there's another document called an Advanced Care Directive, and this one is for accommodation, lifestyle, healthcare, and medical treatment decisions. And in this document, uh, the person that you can think of as the agent is not called an agent, it's called a substitute decision maker. And you can appoint one or more trusted persons to act as your substitute decision maker. So that's, uh, that's phase two. That was uh, considering the categories of people in your life whom you would like to appoint uh, in your various documents. So phase three is to plan the various documents. So the one that most people think of and a very important one is the last will and testament. And that's where you appoint an executor to carry out your wishes and name your beneficiaries to receive your assets after you've gone. And you can and should name the, uh, the trustee to look after the uh, financial affairs of anybody who needs a bit of protection, particularly children under the age of 18, but sometimes older people as well. A lot of my clients feel that 18 is a bit too young to inherit substantial wealth, and so they'll create a testamentary trust for their children, but for a higher age than 18. Uh, 25 is, is quite a common age. And that needs to be done very, very carefully. Don't even think about trying to do that yourself because you will create enormous problems for your family. It'll end up in court and many tens of thousands of dollars will be spent in legal fees fighting over what you intended to do. It's much better, I promise, to get it done properly the first time by an experienced lawyer who knows what they're doing. Similarly, don't even think about not getting a will. I know some people feel that it's a waste of time and money uh, because they feel that they won't have very many assets when they die. This is particularly for young people. But it's uh, a big mistake. It's a logical fallacy. And in fact, many young people are worth more dead than alive because nowadays superannuation is pretty much compulsory and most superannuation has life insurance and therefore when a young person dies it's very typical, very common that uh, their life insurance will then pay out so whilst they might think that they're not very wealthy because they can't personally access the, the life insurance uh, their heirs and, and beneficiaries can and so they should have a will to say where those assets are to go because if they don't, the law of the state where they live and die will decide for them who gets the money and it might not be whom they would want. And in some cases it can even end up with the government. So make sure you have a will. And in that will you will appoint those various categories of persons that we've just been talking about. Beneficiaries, executors, trustees, guardians and so on. Then next document is the advanced care directive we had a brief chat about this before now this is while you're still alive but uh, the population is aging and uh, the doctors are more and more clever at keeping us alive for a longer period but we're likely to need increasing amounts of care and assistance as we get older and if we were to lose the ability to make decisions for ourselves about which nursing home would we go into who would our carers be what sort of healthcare we, we like to have towards the end of our lives, 
it can be very helpful and very powerful to create a document that nominates somebody to have the lawful authority to make those decisions and sign those documents for us so that we get the right sort of care and importantly the sort of care that we want to have. Similarly the next document the enduring power of attorney we've briefly discussed that's for you to appoint somebody that you trust to manage your legal and financial affairs. Very powerful, very important. Now uh, then we're going to have a very quick check a, a discussion about death benefit nominations. This is where if you have um, financial products, particularly superannuation, where you can nominate one or more persons whom you wish to receive the benefits of that financial product in the event of your death. Now if you've done this, and some people have done it accidentally, they may possibly bypass their own will, in which event it might not go to the people that you've put in your will, instead it might end up going to the people you've nominated in your superannuation. The catch is that there is federal Australian legislation that restricts the categories of people that you can validly nominate. And this is a trap that many, many Australians fall into because the catch is the superannuation companies won't stop you from nominating whomever you like at first instance. The nominations are only tested for validity, not when you make the nominations, they're tested when you die. So for example, if you were to nominate, let's say, your brother, then the superannuation company won't care at first instance and they'll let you write down his name. But when you die, it's very, very likely that a brother, anybody's brother, would not typically be regarded as a valid nomination under superannuation law. This isn't like a will. You can't just pick whomever you want to receive your superannuation. Only certain categories of people are regarded by Australian law as being valid nominations. And you've got to know that. And if you put in a nomination and get it wrong, there'll be litigation, there'll be lots of expense and cost and distress for your family. So for the majority of ordinary Australians, and I mean 90 plus percent, it's better not to have nominations of specific people. Instead, have your superannuation pointing towards your will and then nominate the beneficiaries in your will. Because if you bypass your will, you're also going to bypass all the conditions that you want to set up, including the testamentary trusts for young children, and you can have problems. Now uh, we've uh, talked about trustees a bit and certain testamentary trusts. There are lots of different types of trusts that are available and uh, one in particular is something called a special disability trust which uh, can help uh, families who have um, uh, people with specific disabilities, specific needs. If the Australian Federal Government has accepted somebody as being disabled, in other words they're on a disability pension, then they're probably going to be uh, eligible for a special disability trust 
and this is a very special thing it's not a do-it-yourself job you need to speak to a specialist lawyer but it can create significant options and substantial tax benefits as well as Centrelink benefits uh, for example you can leave a substantial sum of money over well over six hundred thousand dollars in a special disability trust for somebody who's on a disability pension and they get to keep their pension as well as their inheritance so it needs to be planned very carefully and that's one of many many options that might be available for you and your family so that's uh, a brief rundown of uh, the basics of estate planning I hope you've enjoyed it I hope I've encouraged you to consider putting your affairs in order and having a discussion with an estate planning solicitor this has been Rod Genders I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. This has been another Estate Planner podcast from Genders and Partners Solicitors in Adelaide, South Australia. We hope you've enjoyed it and invite you to check out our website at www.genders.com.au. Thanks for listening.